Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in this episode, I'll be talking to Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times about the government's 3.6 billion euro stimulus plan to boost the economy as it emerges from the pandemic. What's involved in this plan? How will the state pay for it? And what happens if there's a fourth wave of COVID and lockdown restrictions have to be reinstated? But first, I'm going to look at the plight of the restaurant sector, which will be allowed reopen on June 7th for outdoor dining and from July 5th for indoor meals. Sinead Lambert is owner of Solaria Restaurant in Westport County Mayo, and she's been grappling with the many challenges of reopening her venue. And these include difficulties in recruiting waiting staff. Earlier this week, Sinead said she was despondent and annoyed that the government was allowing hotels and guest houses to open today for indoor dining, while restaurants have to wait another month for the privilege. So we began with her outlining to me why she has a problem with this phasing of the government's reopening plan. We were very disappointed that the government excluded the restaurants from opening with the hotels because we don't understand what is the difference between a restaurant um, in a hotel and a restaurant like myself, off off a street. And there's no evidence whatsoever and they can't come up with any evidence. So we were just highly, highly disappointed that um, they have put us out to a month down the road. And then in regard to the outdoor dining, that's opening on Friday, I think, is it, that you can do outdoor dining uh, for pubs and for restaurants. Now, unfortunately, I have only just recently secured a car park space outside my restaurant. It's it's just a car park space. It's one one two meter by two meter, whatever it is. And um, unfortunately, I cannot open that on Friday because there's only seats, 12 covers. And I'm not guaranteed that I'll always get 12 covers at the same time. So I it, it's not um, visible for me to run that until, you know, now. So I'm go- we're going to wait until the 5th of July to run them both together. Okay. So the 5th of July, I suppose, just to be clear to everybody, the 7th of June is actually uh, next Monday. It's the bank holiday Monday. And oh, it's the bank holiday Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> indoor dining in restaurants uh, is going to be allowed from July 5th, presuming there isn't a blip in between uh, in terms of the public health uh, situation, but let's assume not. So indoor dining returns on July 5th, and that's when Sol Rio will reopen. Yeah, and we can't even dare to think about a blip because if we don't get a summer, Kieran, it could bring us under. If I don't get July and August, like if I get a July and August like last year, I will be happy um, because it got us through through the winter or the so-called half half of a winter. But um, if we don't get it, honestly, it's going to bring small businesses like myself down. Now, Sinead, your business is nearly 25 years old, um, set up in 1997, I understand. Yeah. Um, just tell us a little bit about how the business was doing pre-pandemic, how many people you were employing, how many people on a typical busy summer night um, you would you would welcome as a guest. Yeah, God, we're, we're 24 years in operation, uh, myself and my husband. My husband is uh, hails from Portugal and um, our son works with us now in the business. Um, he's a student, but works now in the business. Um, we employed um, in the summertime, I would generally have 10 to, to 15 waiting staff, depending on full time and part time. And I would have a kitchen team of about seven. So it's it's a very it's a very good business, um, especially in the summertime. And um, we would generally be doing seventy to a hundred covers a night. 
in in the summertime. And we would do that on a Saturday night in the winter. So we had a good, li- we did lovely little business. Um, I'm just scared now how it's going to come back. But the bookings are strong. I was just doing the bookings there before I came on to you. And the bookings are strong um, now going forward. Um, July is looking very good and so is August. Lots of people booking online and lots of people ringing the phone and leaving messages, which is very hopeful. But I will, I if we have... Um, July and August, like last year, I'll be I'll be very happy because the Irish were amazing. They were just amazing supporters of the industry and they spent well. Yeah. So tell us about last summer. How many people were you able to accommodate, you know, given social distancing and all of the other protocols you have to have in place? How many people were you able to take in last summer? Uh, My restaurant is down to 45 now. I had 70 covers. I'm now 45. And with 45 covers, what does that mean in terms of staffing? I didn't have as many staff, but I did have uh, our son worked the door. So I never had a door person before because we're a first and second floor restaurant. No one entered the restaurant unless you had a reservation or a table was available for you. Myself and my son operated a a mobile unit from the door to the to upstairs. And, you know, that was fantastic. So that was that was a new job. And he now will run the two pods that are going to be outside as well. So we'll be able to do the door and the two pods because I'm going to run exactly the same system as I did um, last year with the same covers. I'm not changing it because I thought it was we were very happy with it and customers were very happy with it. And that's that's the most important thing that our customers are happy and comfortable in our restaurant and feel safe and the staff feel safe and comfortable with it. But we still had to have on on any given day, I would have five staff on on a busy Saturday night or a busy everyday night, July and August. And I'm still having that because I still have to have two upstairs, one downstairs, one in the bar, a runner, and then the extra one is the door. So the kitchen staff stayed the same. We didn't change the kitchen staff because they're still they're still intense. Can you make money on 45 covers? Yeah, you can. If You, you see, the hour and a half, the hour 45 minutes is good because there's no lingering. So you can do the turnover. So that's, I mean, that's one of the other elements of the reopening, isn't it? Um, that Fault Ireland has introduced these guidelines, one of which is a time limit of 105 minutes. Now, again, that's drawn a lot of criticism from fellow restaurateurs and from pub owners as well who are unhappy and um, that people are being limited in, in terms of the amount of time they can spend on the premises. But you're happy with it. Look, it, we have to make it run. We just have to make it run. And everything is, you know what? Everything is is workable. I, I'm I'm all for working it. Look, we have to work it. We have to get our businesses up and going. I will run with it because I really want to get back. Sinead, how many days were you able to trade last year post the first lockdown in mid-March? Okay, so um, we traded from January to the 15th of March. Then we closed. We reopened the 29th of June. And we traded it right up until the 6th of October. Right. Okay. And in terms of turnover, I mean, I presume your turnover was decimated last year because of uh, the pandemic. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And we still closed. We closed on a Tuesday, Kieran, and we didn't open for July and August because I needed and my husband needed a day away from the restaurant because we were there 24-7. We didn't leave it. I wouldn't leave it. And I just didn't feel even when... My manager was, she she wasn't totally comfortable with me not being there. Um, so we decided to close on a Tuesday, even in July and August, which we normally would open. 
what supports from the government have you been able to draw upon to help keep the business afloat? So we've been very lucky that we qualified for the CRSS. So I get the CRSS, which pays for um, my telephones, my Wi-Fi, my electricity, because all our fridges are still operating in the restaurant. Because if we turn them off, we lost so much um, uh, equipment when we reopened in June last year. We lost two fridges. We lost a glass washer because things weren't in operation. And my fear is that it'll happen, but we don't let that happen because we go in when we're in there and doing the bakery. We turn on the glass washer, the dishwashers, everything, even my hot water system. I lost it last um, June. So we had to get get a guy in to redo the whole hot water system. So it, it, lockdowns, you know, have a big, um, a big implementation on on equipment and stuff in a restaurant. And now you're going to reopen in July. I'm just wondering, what are the costs to you of having to reopen? I presume you have to put staff through their uh, training again. Um, You're talking about doing some outdoor dining and some car parking spaces. I think Mayo County Council has allowed you to do that. A bit of investment there, I'm sure, and probably other elements as well. So, I mean, if you tot it all up, what do you reckon the cost will come to? (sighs) I couldn't put a figure on it because I think everyone would be different depending on, for example... Have you paid your suppliers? Is is there, you know, debt still sitting there? Because that has to be paid in order to get product back. Um, for example, we were getting the the grant for outdoor, um, but my pods are costing me just the two pods are costing me three and a half grand, and the the grant is four thousand. So I'm investing my own money in the outdoor dining with the hope that I will get a return from it. Um. also you've got to do staff training and the big problem is and this is the big elephant in the room of Ireland is there's no staff Well uh, that was going to be my next question because we're hearing from a lot of sectors how a lot of staff aren't returning for one reason or another some have decided that hospitality is no longer for them maybe some are doing nixers and they're getting the PUP and it's simply not worth their while what's your experience? Uh, not good Kieran. Um I'm lucky that my kitchen situation is good because my husband's the head chef, we have our second chef, we have our third chef, and we have a a dessert chef. So the chef situation, I'm not concerned about. I can't get any washing up or kitchen assistance. I have been advertising now for three weeks, nothing. I've had an advertisement out for three weeks on social media. I have one waitress, one waitress inquiry, one. Why is that, Sinead? I believe that everybody is kind of... Chillax. The leave insert is on. They won't be thinking about jobs until the leave insert is over. And the college students, and I hear this from my son, who's saying that they want to take the summer off and go travelling. They don't want to work because they're on the pop. So are are you happy when the government says it's going to begin reducing the pop payments and they're going to be phased out essentially over the rest of this year? Are you happy to hear that? I'm not because I don't think it's it's a good enough plan. Like phasing it out in September is no good to me because I need them for July and August. You know what they said yesterday, it's a catch two twenty situation. And I understand, you know, the aviation and the music industry. And I understood watching um, uh, the shows last night saying you can't take away the pub from them. Do you know what I mean? You can't take it. But then how do we get staff? How, do, how are we going to get them in? Sinead, you mentioned earlier that you had 10 to 15 waiting staff. Where have they gone? I don't know. 
I, I just I get I just can't put my finger on it. I just don't know what's going on. I don't know where all these students are that have finished college. None of them are applying for jobs. I went back to two to two of um, last year's staff that worked for me that are students. They never replied to me. Didn't even respond. I don't know what's going on. I'm just afraid they're all going to take the summer off and not work. Okay, so I think you said you, you'd only had one person apply for a, a job as a, a waiter or a waitress. What are you going to do if you don't have any applications between now and July 5th? I don't know. And that's that was the other side of me, Kieran, saying, I'm not ready to open before the 5th. Okay, so, you know, if they were saying, if he was going to change his mind and say, right, we'll bring the restaurants back to open on the 5th of June or the 7th of June, I was going, what am I going to do? I haven't got staff. So... At the moment now, I am. This is my big project: is out there, word of mouth, sending messages. I have my son and on his um, Snapchat and everything, saying, "Guys, come on, we need to get people in the doors." So I'm doing the best. I really am. I'm, I'm nearly every second day on social media about recruitment, and then you don't want to be over the top. Do you know what I mean? But we have to. We won't be able to open. To be honest with you, at the moment, I think I have about. Six staff in total, six waiters to open for the summer. It's not enough. Right. Tell us about life in Westport at the minute, Sinead, because presumably uh, it will be hopping around about now with a bank holiday weekend coming up. The summer season starting to really crank up. I presume that Westport would be, would be, you know, alive, really alive. What's it like at the minute? Well, last weekend, there were so many people in town. We couldn't get over it. Um, it was busy. There was so many people and it was great to see it. I just wondered where they were all going, where they're all staying. I don't know. It was just, there was a big buzz. It was like Dublin with the incident, the party and everything. People are getting fed up. There's movement. I know the hotels are very busy now for the next month. And Sinead, how much of your business will be reliant on international tourism? Because air travel is due to start on July 19th again. I'm sure it's going to be a a slow uh, return and a long road and all of that kind of stuff. But there is the opportunity that uh, people will be coming in from abroad from July 19th. How important is that to your business? Yes, it is important to my business. Um, But do you know what? I'm happy to say that Westport isn't totally reliant on international that we're very much a national um, destination. And I think that's that's wonderful that we don't have all our eggs in one basket. So yes, it would be great to get the international back and the internationals coming back to our towns and more and more people because we're all eating into the same pie. It's the same like the recruitment. We're all eating into the same pie at the moment. We're all fighting for the same business and it's the same you know the hotels are all looking for staff we're all biting at the same cherry but it'd be great to have the international back and we'd we'd be delighted to you know to see them and see the americans the europeans everybody because we we would be uh, very much a a tourism destination but i think it's great that westport has worked so hard on being our own destination that the the people from dublin galway kilkenny cork they want to come to westport and i think that's fantastic Sinead, given the costs involved in reopening and given the fact that you've been closed for so long, in terms of prices, are you going to have to put your prices up when people return on July 5th? Or have you been able to maintain the kind of price levels you had pre-pandemic? I am adamant that I'm going to uh, retain the prices of uh, pre-pandemic because 
I don't want people to say we're rip off Ireland, rip off Ireland, rip off Ireland, because that's all you hear all the time. And I, I get, I really, I get disheartened hearing that because we do the best value we we can and we did that last year and i'm going to continue doing that and i'm not putting my prices up no and Sinead, hopefully this will be the last lockdown you'll have to endure when you reopen on july 5th that'll be it you'll be able to stay open i just wonder what the future of dining holds for the industry going forward what changes covid might have uh, brought about that will actually be sustainable into the long term or uh, how you know, the industry might change uh, long term as a result of COVID. Yeah, that's a very interesting um, question, Kieran. And um, yeah, where I don't know, I, I was talking to my husband yesterday about this. I just said to him, I'm very comfortable with the covers we have now. I don't know if I go back up to the 70. I'm very happy with the standard we had last year. So I think that's one thing that I will be not changing. Um, I think the outdoor dining is going to be a very interesting one because it's our first time the big investment is going into it. So I think, I, I don't know how to see that go. I don't know how to put my finger on that yet, but I think it's going to be a big, a big forward till October. Um, I need to run it and see it and see what transpires from that. But talking to customers that rang and uh, in particular, there was a group of 11 that he was, he really wanted the two pods, which I was very happy to give him because they sit, six and six and he said he this is what he said to me which was very interesting i said you know if the weather changes i said the restaurant won't be available for you to go into because it would be booked so are you are you 100 sure that you want uh, the to sit in the pods he said yes i've told my group it's outdoor dining put your coats on bring your wraps this is the new ireland so that came across um, from this guy who booked for July. And I found that very interesting. So that's where a big change is. So that's where I see a big change in the outdoor. I think we'll always be sanitizing now going forward. We'll always be um, cleaning down. There'll always be sanitizer at a door of a premises. I think masks are definitely a thing that is going to be around for the next two years at least. Um, until we know more about um, COVID, because we still don't know, and they announced that this morning, we still don't know how long the effect of our injections are going to last, because they were talking about um, this woman who got COVID again after seven months. So there's still a lot of uncertainty around COVID and the vaccine and how, you know, will the herd immunity um, how is that going to work if we get 80% of our population vaccinated? So the next year is very interesting. And just finally, Sinead, if there was one thing that you would like to recommend to government that they could do directly for you or your industry, what would it be? It's funny, they, they announced yesterday, I was thinking about this, they announced yesterday that they're going to keep the 9% VAT rate um, until September 22. I would like to see that being kept longer than 22 because 22 is only next year we're still going to be there like our recovery is a long way down the road so that's in particularly i would um the nine percent vat would be my big thing going forward just on the nine percent vat rate Sinead, it used to be 13 13 and a half percent so that that four and a half percent differential is that being used to reduce your prices or is it being used to support your business financially I didn't reduce my prices because my prices were competitive enough, to be honest. And I'm actually using that to keep my business 
afloat, to keep it going. Because if I did do that, Kieran, I'm it's the difference of bringing me down. And that is what I always said about when um, the government put the VAT back to 13.5. If they had only gone up to 11%, it would have been... We wouldn't have said anything. There would have been no retaliation from us because 2% we could swallow, but 4.5% was a bit too far. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, listen, it's been a really difficult time uh, for you, Sinead, over the last uh, number of months. I think everybody accepts that and, and all of your peers in the industry as well. And we wish you uh, a lot of success when you reopen those doors on July 5th. I hope you're full uh, for the month and for August as well. We might check in with you at some point later in the summer, perhaps, just to see how you're getting on and particularly the outdoor dining. Uh, let's hope the weather stays good. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm very, very hopeful that it will be the 5th of July and we'll have a good summer like last year and I'd love to hear you to check back in with us and see how the outdoor dining goes and how our weather is going to be, how it all pans out and thanks very much, it was lovely to talk to you Great, Sinead Lambert, owner of the Solaria Restaurant in Westport, County Mayo Thank you for joining Inside Business. Thank you very much We're going to take a short break now when we return I'll be talking to Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times about the government's 3.6 billion euro stimulus plan You're listening to the Irish Times Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. On Tuesday, the government announced a 3.6 billion euro stimulus package to boost the economy as it emerges from the pandemic. It also announced the extension of a number of financial supports for businesses and workers and a timetable for their likely withdrawal. And it surprises all by announcing the expansion of the property tax. Joining me on the line now to discuss this is Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Uh, Cliff, you're very welcome. Uh, take us through the main elements of the plan. Yeah, I suppose um, you could break it down into a few different bits, Kieran. One was dealing with the supports that have been put in place uh, for the pandemic since the pandemic came in, in in March last year. So the pandemic unemployment payment, the wage subsidy scheme and the, and the range of other supports uh, that have been put in place for business. So basically they were due to run out in June as things stood and the government has long kind of hinted that it would extend them, but it hasn't been telling us uh, how it would do that. So it's finally outlined that. Uh, it finally outlined that in the package yesterday. So basically, the PUP is going to run to February of next year, but it's going to gradually reduce in level. The wage subsidy scheme is going to stay in place uh, for businesses until the end of the year, though it may be tweaked towards the end of the year. They've left some 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 room there on that. And then there's a range of other supports, mainly. Ex- the extension of, of current supports, the so-called CRIS scheme, which helps companies that have had to stay closed, tax warehousing, uh, the commercial rates waiver, all these being extended, uh, and also a new scheme to help uh, companies that have to stay closed and, and don't qualify for the CRIS payment. So a whole panoply of supports, I guess you could say, to try to get uh, the economy back going get back going again. As well as that, uh, the package pointed towards uh new investment in other areas. I think we'll get more detail of this in the National Development Plan or the revamp of the National Development Plan, which is out in a couple of months. But we did get a few hints. New investment in environmental projects, a lot of new investment in training, uh, training places, uh, retraining to help people uh, get back to work, uh, and some hint of investment in transport as well, as well, for example, in metropolitan uh, rail lines down in Cork, which may eventually lead to electrification. So a lot of different bits, I think, uh, to the announcement that was made. Uh, and as you said, then the property tax was w- w- was thrown in as a surprise extra for us all. It certainly was. Yeah, take us through the elements of the property tax. How are they going to expand it in scope, Cliff? Well, 
really the, the property tax, as you know, was introduced in 2013. And at the time, it was meant to be uh, the houses, the house price values on which the tax is based were meant to be revised uh, every three years. Uh, but the government funked that in 2016 uh, because of house prices had started to go up by then and they and they were worried that people would face higher bills and they funked it again in 2019. And again in 2020, it was put off. So finally, I, I guess the, the bullet is being, is being bitten. Uh, and the issue the government faced, there were, there were two really key issues and reasons they had to move. One is that the way that tax was set up and because there haven't been revaluations, all new houses built since 2013 have been excluded. So that's that's clearly unfair. You could have someone living in an old house paying four or five hundred euro a year, and and someone living down the road in a new house paying nothing. Uh, so clearly, there's there's an anomaly there that has to be fixed. But also because the valuations were were way out of date, um, there, there was a good chance there'd be a legal challenge to the scheme, as there was to the old rate scheme years ago, and that the whole tax would would fall into disrepair and maybe would have to be abandoned. So the government really wanted to underpin, I guess, this source of revenue which mainly goes to local authorities. So they faced a problem. The problem was that house prices have gone up by 80 or 90% since 2013, and clearly they didn't want people's tax bills to go up by that amount. So what do you do? So to combat that, they've cut the rate on which the tax is going to be paid, and, and they've also extended the bans by, by around 75%. So basically, most people, 53% of people who pay, will pay the same as they do now uh, next year, according to estimates. Uh, around a 10%, 10 or 11% would pay a bit less. And the remainder, which is about 36%, would pay more. Most would pay €90 Euro more a year, meaning they'll go up one band. And there'll be a minority then, around 3%, who, who, who will pay more. Um, some of them will jump uh, by, by, by two bands. And some of those are people in kind of more expensive homes for which a slightly different regime applies. And so they will face... Uh, they will face higher bills if if, if they faced uh, if their property has increased significantly in value in the meantime. So, how much will it raise, Cliff? And when does this new regime come into place? Yeah, so the new regime kicks in uh, for for tax bills for twenty twenty two. So you'll have to revalue your, your house in November of this year, uh, and then the payment will relate to twenty twenty two. So, as you know, some people pay their uh, tax their property tax in one block. So. That, that money is usually due by the end of the year or early in the new year. And some people get it taken off their wages uh, throughout the year. So, so, so that's another option for people going into next year. Currently, the tax raise is about €480 million Euro for the Exchequer. Um, that's going to go up next year. The government estimates to around €560 million. Euro. The main reason it'll increase is that uh, the people who have bought new houses since 2013... Uh, would be brought into the tax net. So that is the main source of the additional revenue uh, that will come into the Exchequer uh, and, and, and local authorities from this tax. Um, there'll be a small amount also extra from existing payers, uh, people who move up into higher bands, uh, as we were saying there earlier. I, the other, I guess, significant thing, a couple of other significant things that were introduced or, or were announced in terms of the tax uh, one was that houses are going to be revalued automatically now every four years uh, f- for the tax. Um, so that'll be interesting, particularly if house prices um, continue to go up. And the other is that uh, they're, they're going to end this anomaly whereby houses, uh, new houses built and bought between valuation periods effectively escape from the tax. 
Um, so that if you buy a new house, say, in 2023 or 2024, before the new revaluation period, you'll, you'll pay the tax on the basis of what that house would have been valued at in, in, in 2021. So they're trying to close off the loopholes, uh, remove the anomalies and kind of turn this into kind of a a, a more automatic tax uh, that, that, that provides cash to local authorities. What will the average bill be? Did they give a figure, Cliff? Yeah, it's it it varies very significantly, kind of depending on the the, the size of your house. Uh, but a typical kind of uh, three fifty to four fifty five hundred value house, you'd be paying four or five hundred euro a year. There's there's, there's been a table published uh, with the new rates and, and the new bands included in it. Uh, so you know, a lot of average price houses before five six hundred a year. The amounts do rise very significantly for more expensive properties, you know, for properties over 1 million and, 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 and particularly over 1.75 million, you're, you're up into the thousands, uh, 2,200 or more for the most expensive houses. So there is a bit of cash, uh, there is a bit of cash involved, all right, for, 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 um, for, for people at the higher end of the, uh, of, of the spectrum. Now, they might have taken a bull by the horns in terms of uh, reforming the property tax uh, regime and the way it's working at the minute. But no change to the sort of system of valuation so that people in, you know, relatively modest houses in Dublin are going to be paying, they're going to be paying a chunky sum of money, aren't they? Much more than, let's say, people who have probably bigger houses in lots of parts of of rural Ireland. Yeah, this has been the issue with the tax, I think, since day one, uh, that it's been seen as as a Dublin tax. Uh, or, or at least a city tax, as you say, because of the higher value of houses. And there was an examination um, by the Department of Finance back in 2019, which looked at the possibility of different rates in different areas. Uh, but I think that was kind of judged to be more complicated. Uh, but you're right, people in uh, people in city areas, and particularly Dublin, uh, do pay a lot more. You know, typically five or six hundred euro for a lot of households versus two or three hundred uh, for, for, for people in for people in rural areas. One thing that they have done to try and um, I guess switch the political dial on this in local authorities, at the moment a portion of the uh, money, around 20% of the money collected in, in the, the richer local authorities as the ones with the higher priced homes goes into a central pool which is then redistributed to the benefit of the uh, less well-off local authorities are, are the ones with lower-priced homes, so so that is that is that is ending. So each local authority will keep a hundred percent of the uh, of the local property tax that it that it's raised. So I think the idea there is to try and take some of the heat out of this at, at local council level. A lot of the local councils, particularly in Dublin, have voted to reduce the tax each year by typically ten or fifteen percent, which they've been allowed to do. But they'll now face, you know, a straight choice in future that, okay, if you, re- if you reduce it by 10 to 15%, you can, you can still do that, uh, but you're going to have less money then for local services. And in the meantime, there's a recognition that the state is going to have to step in and help the, uh, the less well-off local authorities. I, I think you're, 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 you've put your finger on another point there in terms of the valuations, and this is going to be an issue, I think, coming towards November because of the state of the property market and the small number of uh, deals that have been uh, that have been done in recent years that people may find it hard in some areas to put a value on their homes. Uh, there may be no property of their type that's sold in the last couple of years in, in, in their area. Um, and, and it is a self-assessment tax, so it's up to you to decide the, the value of your home, with, with, though the revenue can challenge this, and in some cases has challenged it. Um, so I think an interesting... Um, 
an interesting exercise ahead. And obviously, we have to see what the revenue says about this and whether it's going to give guidance to households on how exactly to do this. But this is the first time people have had to do this since 2013. And they're doing it in a very strange property market with very low transaction levels and where houses have sold in some cases for strange prices and in some cases for very high prices. So, you know, what do you base your property tax uh, valuation on uh, to ensure that the revenue doesn't come back to you in two years' time and say, hold on, hold on now, uh, you value this too low, um, we're going to charge you the money back and, and, and arrears and penalties and all the things the revenue does when it finds out you haven't paid enough tax. And Cliff, in terms of the 3.6 billion euro stimulus package, how are we going to pay for that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question, as they say. I guess there's two bits to the kind of public finances at the moment. One is that this huge debt that we've built up during the pandemic, uh, you know, our national debt has gone up to 240, it's 235 billion at the moment. It'll be well over 240, heading to 250 uh, by the end of this year. And the government is hoping that a, a sharp revival in growth, you heard Leo Varadkar saying that the economy will take off like a rocket. The government's hoping that a sharp revival, revival in growth will, will, will close the deficit next year and the year after, or at least reduce the deficit next year and the year after, um, so that it'll manage to kind of carry this higher level of debt on its national balance sheet, if you like, without having to, uh, to increase taxes. But there is a clear hint in the, uh, the programme as well that look, we're looking at a lot of other areas of additional spending as well. So we're looking at areas spending more in the whole environmental agenda in the next few years in terms of investment and day-to-day spending. Uh, and, and there's talk of much uh, significantly higher spending in, in, in health as well and, and also in welfare, which was an area uh, discussed at the uh, government press conference yesterday where the Taoiseach was saying, um, and the Taunister were saying, look, we will probably need better social protections in future. We'll probably need a system whereby people, if they lose their job, get some higher level of income protection, at least for a few months, the six or nine months after they lose their job than they do at the moment. And all those things are going to cost money. And, and there's certainly a hint in the programme of, of higher taxes in some areas. Uh, PRSI is the, is, is the one, I think, that has been fingered particularly I would be very surprised, not next year, but but the year after, if we didn't see that process starting with an increase in employers' PRSI and possibly an increase in, 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 in the PRSI that we all pay out of our uh, wage packets each, each month as well to, to start to pay for these higher levels of social protection for better sick pay, uh, better sick pay for people uh, and, and better pay for people after they lose their jobs and, and, and all those kind of areas as well. And this is what... This is what the IMF and the OECD and the Fiscal Council and all the, the worthies, if you like, have been warning about. They've been saying, look, Ireland's, Ireland and all the other countries have been able to borrow for very little money um, during, the, during the crisis. And, and, and that protects us kind of going forward. But that we are also pre- planning to spend a lot in other areas as well. New spending, permanent spending, continued spending. And we're going to have to find a way to pay for that as well at some stage, sooner rather than later, I suspect. I suppose there was some good news during the week with the OECD revising upwards. Its forecasts for the Irish economy expects it to grow by 4.2% this year um, as the uh, lockdown measures are phased out and to increase by 5.1% in 2022 on the back of significant pent-up consumer spending. Yeah, I mean, it, there are and there are good signs. There are positive signs for the economy and good signs for the for the economy in terms of the reopening. Uh, consumer confidence is certainly up. 
uh, there's a huge wedge of savings in in the uh, bank accounts of people who of many people who have remained in work, uh, particularly older people who don't have uh, very significant outgoings and haven't been able to spend on things like holidays. So there's a lot of money there to 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 boost the revival, and we've seen through the pandemic that there's a large section of the economy, the multinationals, the public sector, and so on, which have just kept going, and a lot of kept cases have just kept growing as well. Um, so you know we have we have we have a bit of a two tier economy. So yeah, I think we can be confident of a pretty strong revival across much of the economy. Uh, the question mark obviously is over the areas that have been closed and 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 really badly hit by the crisis: uh, the hospitality sector, the restaurant sector, hotels, uh, tourism, anything connected with tourism, particularly uh, overseas tourism, obviously, uh, aviation, uh, entertainment, and the arts. Um, very damaged companies, very damaged sectors. A lot of cases, their employees have scattered to the four winds, you know, gone back to other countries to work, gone off to work in other sectors. So real uh, kind of serious challenges, I think, facing those companies and restarting. And, and given that we're kind of just emerging from the pandemic and we're not quite sure how this is all going to play out in terms of easing restrictions yet, we're hoping for the best. Um, I think there's still a lot of questions over that part of the economy. So overall growth is probably going to be good, uh, as the OECD and others have predicted, but still a question mark over the sectors that were that were worst hit. Cliff, has the government been wargaming? What happens if there's another lockdown? If we have a fourth wave, they have to introduce more lockdown restrictions. What then? Yeah, there's hints of it in the document for sure. Uh, and I think they realise uh, that politically and and economically as well, that if that happens, they're going to have to revise their um, their plan to wind down the supports by the end of the year. So if you read uh, the revival plan in terms of what they're saying about the PWP and in terms of what they're saying about the wage subsidy scheme, that is all heavily caveated uh, on the basis of the, re- the reopening taking place as we hope. In other words, uh, restaurants are opening at the start of July. Uh, hotels up and running uh, and, a, and a decent uh, domestic tourist season and international travel resuming over uh, kind of August, September time. If any of that falls out of bed, I, th- I think some of the announcements yesterday may have to be revised or some other sectoral supports may have to be put in place for, for, for the employees of the companies affected and the companies themselves. I mean, one of the things that was announced was that the, for example, that the PUP was going to be closed for new entrants from the start of July. And you could see uh, that if there's a delay in reopening, then you know there could be more layoffs related to the pandemic through July and August. And I think there would be support then, or there would be pressure then to uh, to revise that PUP decision and maybe extend it at, a, at its current level for a bit longer. But I guess the government felt that, look, it has to, it has to act on the basis of, of the economy reopening, economies reopening elsewhere, uh, there's a good chance we'll get through it here, hopefully, um, on the basis that it's set out. So it's set out its plan, but the caveats are, are are definitely there. And I think while the full war game wasn't laid out in the um, in the in the plan, uh, it's clear that it is being thought about, and you know there will be plans B, C, and D, uh, B, C, and D set up. And a lot of positive mood music uh, around the reopening of the economy at the minute. 
And you mentioned Leo Varadkar's comment that he expects it to take off like a rocket. But nonetheless, we have been told in recent times that when the dust settles, um, 100,000 people will probably find themselves out of work, permanently out of work. Um, that a number of businesses, we don't know how many, but that a lot of businesses simply won't have survived the pandemic. They will actually, when the supports are withdrawn, they will simply go to the wall. And the air travel sector, I mean, huge question marks hanging over. We know about Aer Lingus permanently closing the crew base in Shannon, for example. But the transatlantic uh, route network has been decimated in the pandemic. And we've no certainty that it's going to be restored by the airlines or when it might be restored, etc. So a lot of question marks still over the future of the economy and the future health of the economy, um, Cliff. And yet we have all of this massive expenditure to pay for. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's a good point. And uh, there have been some studies in America looking at the jobs market there, which have pointed to those kind of factors and say, look, while the overall figures aren't too bad underlying, there are, there are still a lot of problems in a lot of sectors and a, and a lot of regions of the US economy. And they're obviously a bit ahead of the curve where we are. I mean, there's a dreadful phrase that's used um, in the economic jargon called scarring uh, for the damage that's left after a after an economic recession or a downturn. And obviously, like the scale of what we've seen over the last um, couple of years has been has been just has been just astonishing. So it is inevitable, as you say, that there are some companies who are not going to be able to reopen uh, and that there are some sectors where th- the way people spend money is just going to have ch- is, it's just going to change uh, either for the next year or two or, or, or permanently. Um, we're we're hoping that people will be back in in, in bars over the summer, um, drinking, you know, sitting down at tables rather than rather than up at the bar. But we're we're hoping that can happen. But we're we're not quite sure yet. And equally, in terms of large gatherings, uh, we see crowds coming back to football matches in England and plans to do similar here for for, for GAA matches and so on. But we're just we're just not sure how those things are go- are are going to work out. And I think, as you say. So, so there is going to be a group of companies there who, who who are going to be seriously damaged, and a group of sectors which are likely to be a good deal smaller than they are at the moment. Um, so, the pub sector, the restaurant sector, and the retail sector, which was already under pressure from online and already shrinking in physical form, uh, looks certain to be a lot smaller than it was as well. So, a lot of long-term damage there. And as you say, I think the really serious question surrounds the travel and aviation sector. Um, I remember reading something at the start of the year uh, which said, you know, people are be queuing at the exit gates again this summer uh, and dying to get going. But the time at which people are being encouraged to do that keeps being pushed forward and the uncertainties uh, over, over what they'll be able to do. And as you say, longer range routes like the, like the routes to the US just keep growing. So I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty there about the avi- aviation and, and, and overseas tourism sector and if there is one sector that that's vital to Ireland and that, that that you put your finger on as one which is going to be really seriously damaged in the long term and will face a lot of questions for the government, um, I think that is it. And 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 it is going to have a a wider impact on the economy as well. A, a real challenge for the for the government, I think, is to avoid a, a deeper a deeper two tier economy. We've already we we have for years had a two tier economy with the multinationals and paying more, growing more paying more tax uh, and, and being more prosperous and, and a domestic sector kind of chugging along in a less productive way, but also creating massive added value in terms of jobs. The, the risk, I think, is that the domestic bit is going to suffer more in the years ahead uh, 
uh, with with impacts on on, on jobs and, and particularly for younger people. Yeah, plenty of challenges ahead. Let's see how they play out. Uh, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Sinead Lambert and Cliff Taylor. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>